0: A start on demand. on demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Friday edition of the podcast for the Start Mackling McGarry and McNab. And today on the podcast, you're going to hear a conversation with the great Joe Ayello, one of our colleagues. He's down the hall at Power ninety seven Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby. And on Thursday. He won the Manitoba Broadcasting Excellence Award, so we just want to have a quick chat with him and congratulate him, one of the great broadcasters, one of the great people in the city of Winnipeg. We're also going to talk about public shaming. Recent viral video of a homeless man caught shaving on a train. Someone took a video of it, thought it would be funny to post it on the internet. Well, it turns out he was homeless and he was shaving because he was on his way to see his brother and didn't want his brother to know he was homeless. So have we taken public shaming too far? Loren was on a Hercules, a C-130 Hercules on Thursday. We're going to hear how that went. Sounded like it was a wild experience for her. Habitat for Humanity Manitoba is dealing with a rash of thefts. People are stealing from Habitat for Humanity build sites. Just awful stuff. Nikki Reitmeyer is the host of This Is Why. It's a Global News exclusive podcast, and we've been talking all week about veterans' issues. Well, she's done a podcast on the issues that veterans are facing, and she speaks with one who goes into quite graphic detail about the stuff that he experienced, the stuff that has caused him to now experience and develop PTSD. Manitoba Brewers Association hosting a cool event coming up. Their own version of Oktoberfest. 15 local breweries are participating in this coming up on September 29th. And then on September 30th, the CIBC Run for the Cure is happening. It's an important event in support of breast cancer research, and we're going to speak with a recent breast cancer survivor. We have some congratulations to pass along to one of our colleagues.
1: Well, I think this is the second Friday in the in a row we've had someone from down the hall at Power ninety seven. That's right. Uh, we had Philly on last week telling us about the Metallica show. Yes, uh, this isn't quite as big a deal. Oh, I don't know about as that. As the Metallica show, I, I kid, I jest, <laughs> I kid. My my friend from the West End of forty years, Joe Aello. You might have heard of this guy. Host the co host the. Power mornings uh, down the hall here at Chorus Radio Winnipeg. And yesterday he was bestowed with, I would say, an award, a long time in coming, award of excellence from the Broadcasters Association of Manitoba. Joe,
2: congratulations on that. Thank you. I think the first uh, four people they asked turned it down. So they got (laughs) to me on the list. You know what? It is an honor because, I mean, when you get in this business, and a lot of us will have the same story, that's all we thought about. As being a kid, enamored by hearing somebody on the radio and decided either that's really what we want to do because of the passion or it sounds real easy. It was one of those deals. But really, the reason I'm here, uh, Mac, is because uh, I lent you a pair of goalie gloves uh, to play soccer through the old uh, (laughs) Northwest United (laughs) slash Isaac Brock program when we grew up. And I just like them back now because they, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we both played gold growing up and Mac grew up with my brother. <laughs> so
1: my my dad never bought me goalie gloves. So Ralph, Joe's dad, would yep. bring me Joe's goalie gloves when Joe wasn't playing. Wow. And when we were 15, we managed to win the
2: provincial yes. championship back in 83. And did you win provincials that same year? We won uh, one year. So Valor FC is asking... Uh, Asking Mac to come back for a tryout. (laughs) I think
1: they can put, maybe they'll put both of us in the net. Yeah, that percentage. We can each each play half the net.
2: (laughs) You know, you guys, honest to God, and I'm really happy for you guys with uh, Lauren McNabb and, of course, you've got uh, Kelly Moore and a whole crew. You guys sound absolutely fantastic. uh, See, this uh, is what he does.
1: This is what he does. This is part and parcel. This is uh, the antithesis of, no, it's not. This is symbolic of who Joe Aiello is. He's turning it around on us. And this is why (laughs) people, yes, this is why people love you, Joe, is because you're you're modest. You're more worried about being interested in other people then talking about yourself. And this is part of and the word, the, the word I'm going to use right now is, is incorrect, but it's accurate uh, and it's charm because uh, you're engaging and people love you. They adore you. Uh, I was always jealous of you in high school because everybody
2: loved you. In high school, well, I appreciate that, but uh, honestly, uh, I guess one of the first jobs I had ever applied for wasn't this Polo Park Studios, actually. In this building, yep. right? You used there to hang around Moffett downstairs. Communications. I used to come and hang out every couple of days, and they actually gave me a part-time job pushing buttons here because they either thought I was real crazy or real passionate about this job. So, as I was moving along, I actually had a program director tell me. He said, "So, what are your, you know, aspirations?" I didn't know what that word meant back then, but uh, I don't know if I really still do. But I said to him, yeah, I'd love to be on the air. That's you know a dream come true. And he actually told me that I would never, ever make it on the air because of my (laughs) Italian accent. And I thought he was kidding at first. And then I realized, no, the guy wasn't kidding. So here we are having this little chat. And I believe that guy's teaching diversity seminars now. I'm not sure what he's doing. But uh, at the end of the day... I guess the motto is, if you want to do something in life, go do it and don't let anybody stop you from doing it because here we are just having a lot of fun still. I am the luckiest guy in the world because I've always said this, I've never worked a hard day in my life and you come from an area like the West End. That whole area and I mean this city built on hardworking people, we really are the luckiest people in the world. so to be honored is a great uh, a great it is an honor, but at the end of the day, I was really just looking for a participation badge that that would have been good for me
0: one more question here joe and i think another reason why people love you so much is you you seem to know know, like everybody in winnipeg every time i see you out in the public you know this guy and that person and that woman and and you remember everyone's name like that i try
2: to it's getting harder as the years pass but well how do you do that
0: like how do you manage to retain all that because that's that's a skill to be able to remember Everyone like that because I, I meet people and, I, and then I forget, it just goes in one eye and out the other, and then I feel terrible about myself.
2: Yeah, and, and, and it happens in our business. But I really think the key about this city is you know, the old slogan of, Hey, I know a guy or I know a girl. Or, or something like that. And I think maybe that's what makes this city as good as it is. It's not so much just remembering their names, but there's a lot of times you'll walk into a place and you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember I saw him. He was working on uh, my buddy's house. Or It's just kind of a weird thing, but I don't know if that's a talent. I think it's just more of a Winnipeg thing where you just kind of, it, like we really are a big, small town when it comes down to it.
1: It's about genuine connection. And yeah. I think that's what you create and, and that's what I've always admired about you, Joe, that genuine creation or the connection with people. And you know what? Just congratulations. Uh, as I said in my tweet last night, is there a, a human being hall of fame? Uh, because you would be in it.
2: Thanks.
0: Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Milroy, Moore, and Braun. Muriel. One of these things doesn't go
3: with the others.
4: We've
0: decided what, we're
3: calling
4: you Muriel. That's not, Muriel. My,
5: that's not my
3: name. <laughs> well, what
4: is your middle name? Marmaduke. Muriel! <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> so right now we want to talk about public shaming and have we gone too far? Greg, what's yes. the story
2: here? <laughs>
4: Conversation over
0: as far as Jeff's concerned.
1: Boy, uh, well, Lorraine mentioned something to me the other day about this idea of every time you turn around on your Twitter, someone's posted a picture of a pig parker, someone who's incorrectly parked their vehicle in a parking lot. And some people are really overtly horrible and take up multiple spaces, people that shouldn't be in certain spots that are designated for certain types of people. And you know they're ignoring uh, those regulations. And then there was a story about an about uh, a man who was shaving on a train in the United States. Someone videotaped and was mocking him. Turned out this gentleman was homeless and was on a train to go and see his brother. He was cleaning up on the train. He didn't want his brother to know the circumstances of his life.
4: Yeah. And so then people on social media went on to call him, oh, what a slob or that's nasty and comment about that behavior. And it goes to show you without the context to that story, you you're just judging with with very little information.
3: Wasn't there? Who was the actor? Wasn't there? Jeffrey an actor? Owens, yeah, from from Cosby just,
1: Show. Exactly.
3: The same thing happened to him. Like, what? He is, was,
1: yeah, because he was working an honest job at Trader Joe's,
0: sacking groceries. Yeah, exactly. Come on.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, where have where have we gone off the rails? Pardon the pun.
0: Well, some of it. How much of it do you think it comes down to people just because people are can be jerks? Some yeah. people are just jerks.
5: Absolutely, and they just. The only way they can feel better about themselves is by tearing somebody else down. I mean, with a guy that parks like a jerk, that's uh, that's objectively something bad that somebody's done. But these other two examples are just like, mind your own business. It is. They're not hurting anybody. Who
4: cares? I saw a video the other day, and it was a bad parker, and he, he, he did— is the, the video evidence showed, parked poorly. But then the person taking the video, state, followed him back well, yeah, and looked, forth for two minutes. Well, that's and so by, ridiculous. So then by the end of it, I'm like, well, now you're – are you not kind of a jerk for, <laughs> for doing that? I get it. You can call someone out. If you have the courage to walk up to somebody and say, I don't like how you're behaving or, hey, can I ask you why you're shaving on the plane? You might have been able to help that man or do something for him or learn something more. I'm, I'm not saying not call out the behavior you don't like, but does it have to be so relentless all the time?
3: What, uh, what is so wrong with maybe shaving on the train?
0: Yeah, sometimes it, if you if you what if you're just running late for work, exactly. you don't have time to do it at home. Right? I kind of yeah. thought that was the whole
4: point. I mean, I, I always thought it'd be so great to have a train in Winnipeg because I could get on it at the perimeter and do all. The, I'm not saying I'm gonna shave it, you know, start going at my armpits or anything like that. But, but, like, you know, you could get some, if you had homework to do, you got some research to do, you could run to the washroom, wash your face, Found fix time. your makeup, whatever. You got time. Yeah.
3: N- not on the streets of Winnipeg. Your face would be a mess and you'd be hacked up to rot. you know what, on the roads of Winnipeg. Oh, she meant to train. It might oh like actually
1: run fairly smoothly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> until, until the beavers got busy and, and so interrupted the, the, try the try train. Try to go mode. down
3: Empress or St. James. <laughs> no, I don't mean the fast bus.
5: <laughs> you if they had a train, they'd find a way to make it as bumpy as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how are there potholes on this railway track?
0: Why
4: do you have to shame the train? Now we're just shaming this oh, fake train we have. And how
0: much of it then do you think ties into how people, because I will admit that I am among those who has posted pictures to social media about <gasps> pig parkers, but uh, so how much of it? It has to do with people's sort of rush to to show the world how righteous they are by, by shaming There's them a before. lot of that, too. Yeah.
5: yeah. I, I would say, honestly, most, most social media postings are whoever's posting it trying to impress the world with how good they are. Well,
6: because you're not fixing it. You're not going and going, hey, who parked there? Do you want to move? You're just going, look how much better... I could be if this were my car, I would have parked better. But you're just like, okay, and then you move on with your day, and you don't know what the circumstance of the person is. I mean, you know, you should park like a decent human being most of the time.
1: Well, and Kyle, you know very well that a lot of those vehicles are luxury vehicles. Yeah. or right or trucks that are hiked up like there yeah, there seems their... to be these vehicles on their own seem to have a persona and I think that attracts a lot of attention for people right oh look at the delta bravo who parked his bmw in four <laughs> different <laughs> parking spots right and, that, and that's the kind of the attitude it's like oh even my kid said the other day someone passed us on the right at a red light and his engine was going Rrr. Dad, why is it always guys in fancy cars that drive like that?
4: <laughs> maybe because has Dad said that before and they're no, picking up no, on that? No, no, no. Those are the, They have independent
1: observations, Loren. Sure, You'll I, learn that eventually.
4: Yeah,
0: they the, now the picture that I posted was of a truck that had parked in four spots.
4: That's different. I, if That's, you're doing that, uh, go for it. I, I, and again, you can post. Post away. It's just maybe pause to think about... What am I trying to get out of this?
0: Yeah, and I think I eventually saw the person who got into it, and it was this woman who looked kind of like a Barbie girl, uh, clearly just thought that, uh, you know— Rules don't the, apply? The cat's meow. As uh, a word. and The rules don't apply
3: because the, the, I'm Barbie. The one thing I'll say in defense of, what do you call them, pig parkers? Pig parkers, yeah. as Larry it, David would say. It, there are a, a lot of places out there now where there is barely, I drive a little Kia. I yeah. agree. And there are barely enough room for my little car. I can't imagine driving this big souped up four by four and trying to park. Well, unless you're a sports. lumberjack
5: or something, what do you need a truck that big for anyway? Well, but
3: now, <laughs> now, you're <laughs> see, now you're judging. Now you're judging. They're no time you drive.
5: Quick don't to drive. Quick to judge. Don't, well, don't, it just. Why would you want to buy a truck like that when, matter, it, when there's no logical
1: way to park in the city
5: like park that? Because when it's I go to Costco,
4: to I end up spending five hundred dollars no. versus fifty, and I need that truck. And, by the, way, and <laughs> by the way, and by the
1: way, Costco, I go there just because the parking is so damn good. I what? love parking at Costco. Really? When you can find yes. a spot? Yeah, they've got the extra room. They paint the double lines yeah. for your doors. No. It's very luxurious. The parking at, at Costco. I've parked well, there all day. I long. I sweat
4: more going into a Costco park parking lot than ever going to the gym. I'm just nervous and there's people coming and going and I can't figure out where I'm supposed to be and the kids are like, oh, you're going to die in this parking lot.
0: Maybe that's why the spots are so wide, because that's the trade-off. It's the reward. It's a, it's If you can find this spot, <laughs> like then You're we will like give it. you the luxury of a wide spot.
1: I think all parking uh, lots should be designed the same way that uh, Costco lays theirs out. That's, see, I'm going on record. We went
3: for, from some poor guy taking it for shaving on a train yeah. to having some fun that's what we do we yeah. take it off
1: the rails every yeah, So, morning. folks
3: out there it, rather than being quick to judge you know maybe have some fun with life for a change and we Is have that te- so bad
0: we have a text here that says interesting story about this homeless man i have never and will not post crap like that until i hear the three sides of the story yours theirs and the truth jeff braun kelly moore kyle Milwaukee, thank you very much for joining us So we're giving away a trip to Mazatlan. Your dad's on his way to Arizona taking a trip down there. And, Loren, you took a trip to, to Dauphin. Dauphin,
4: yes, which I didn't expect yesterday. I thought we would do a little circuit over the city. And then we get in, and I can hear the communications in the ears, right? And they're like, all right. Uh, you had no idea you were going to Dauphin. All cleared for takeoff for Dauphin or something like that. And I'm oh like, oh, God. that's a little, that would not really where I thought we were going <laughs> But it's, I, I love that area, like the escarpment with the Riding Mountain Park. Did you go over Minidosa? No, I should have made them do a fly past over the mother-in-law and father-in-law and, yeah. and get that done. <laughs> the, the, the fatherland, the motherland yes. of Minidosa. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a great day. There's seven members of the, the search and rescue team let us go up in the Hercules yesterday, and you know I, the impetus I was saying this yesterday was that you see them go by all the time, and you're kind of like, what are they doing? Well, yesterday we found out. With a slight creak and a slow slip of gears, a gaping hole opens up in the back of a plane flying over Dauphin Lake. As we double and triple check our belts and tethers, we are, after all, just a few feet from the edge. Three crew members signal that it's time to move. The military cargo plane is loaded with rescue gear and their job is to get it to anyone in need below. So uh, the first thing that we have to do is actually find uh, the people that are in distress.
5: Uh, Then after that, once we find them, the first thing we want to do is uh, actually get communication with them on the ground
4: to actually confirm that they are in distress and it's actually the people that we're looking for. Now this scenario isn't real, but it's something the Canadian military search and rescue crew based at 17 Wing in Winnipeg prepares for every day. On each side of the plane, a six-foot pane of glass, a large window where the door should be. It's where search and rescue tech Calvin Sloot and his team lead Joel Monagre have been sitting the entire flight homing the landscape for that possible missing plane, overturned boat, missing hiker.
2: We are going to carry on and we'll do the best we can to actually search
4: for them. They're trained for climbing mountains, scuba diving in the Arctic avalanches. As aircraft commander Mike Carey explains from the cockpit, the territory for the Winnipeg-based search and rescue team is massive.
0: Then we cover all of the prairies, so from the American border, and then for us in Winnipeg, all the way up to the North Pole, so basically all the way up to the north of Canada. Uh, And then east to, uh, we kind of split Ontario uh, with Trenton. So we basically, uh, we cover northwestern Ontario, and then Trenton covers uh, east of that. So uh, yeah, prairies and north.
4: And this year, they've been busy, responding to 50 calls by mid-September, a number that they don't normally hit until the end of the year.
0: Uh, So in the summertime, you get just a lot more people out Um, doing things, all the lakes are opened up so we get a lot more marine traffic.
4: So four days a week they put the plane in the sky to prepare for any and all scenarios. Which is perhaps why Manitobans see the Hercules so often. Today, over Dauphin, the training scenario has them first locating the missing person, then getting them aid. A painstakingly precise procedure that starts with the toss of three coloured streamers out the back. They tell the team how the winds are blowing, and then with each pass, a drop to those waiting for it below. First a radio, then some water, then food. The team's aim so accurate, the items land within meters of each other. You never know when when that's going to happen, or when the real thing's going to happen, so for that reason, we we try to stay prepared all the time to be ready for it. But in this training scenario, the person in need is hurt, so the parachutes come on, and two jump out, each armed with a medical bag, and later a drop of a tent if need be. They've both spent nights with people in need.
6: We'd rather land in water. Really? Instead of landing uh, in the trees, Why? you know. Well, because water's much softer than trees. <laughs> <It's getting colder. laughs> yes, but we, we have very good equipment.
4: Each rescue is different and so are the outcomes. No matter how hard they train, a real life rescue always comes with more urgency, more adrenaline, and perhaps more hope. I was
7: just on a mission a
8: couple months ago where we were looking for some people who were overdue in their float planes. So this is kind of uh, the spring was arriving, the, the lake still had ice on them up north but they, uh, they were softening up. So um, they were reported overdue, they knew the location of the cabin they were at. So we flew there and the, the fellows had written out in the lake, all okay. And just seeing that, it is, it's very emotional knowing that the people you're looking for are okay.
4: So a really great experience and a big thank you to Seventeen Wing for arranging that for us yesterday. Now of course they get up four days a week. They they try to do these training missions, but they'll often be out in the air doing a training mission when they get dispatched for a call. So it serves kind of a dual purpose. Yesterday, the plane was packed with all their gear. And we kind of thought, should we, should we have brought a backpack just in case we get sent somewhere? But they're ready to go at a moment's notice. And as you heard, that territory from, from the the B.C. border all the way to sometimes Thunder Bay and then to the North Pole. I mean, that's a huge swath of land.
1: What an incredible experience and uh, the work they do, obviously, invaluable. So uh, shout out to everyone that Mm -hmm. does that work. It's uh, probably sometimes thankless. We take these things for granted that when we get in trouble and we do like as human beings, we do a lot of dumb things. And we take it for granted there's going to be somebody there to save us when we do those things.
4: And yesterday was a nice day and I was still cold up in that plane. So you think about it when they're in the Arctic, combing land, jumping out. Parachuting into the the oceans, the waters, all the rest. I mean, it's can that I mean they have fun. They look like they're having fun the whole time, but yeah, that's that's some serious business.
0: Every year, Habitat for Humanity gathers hundreds of volunteers together to help build homes for families in need. But Lorraine, this year at almost every build site in Winnipeg, there's been a reoccurring problem.
4: Yeah, and thieves going in, stealing equipment, uh, material like copper wiring. Michelle Pereira is with Habitat and Humanity and joins us in studio now. Thanks for being here, Michelle. And normally we we get to talk about the good that comes out of these build sites and all the rest and and today you're here. It's not so great.
7: Yeah, thank you for having us. We're uh, unfortunately need to ask the community to support us and help us through uh, keep being slightly neighborhood watchish. But we don't usually like to have uh, media announcements unless it's something really good to talk about because that's what we believe in. But uh, we need people's help. What are we talking about here? How many
4: build sites and, and what's being taken?
7: So since it started back in May, uh, it's progressively gotten worse over the last month or so. So about every week we're having a theft or a break in and significant damage to our homes and our equipment. Um, They're stealing copper wire, tools, air compressors, uh, generators, um, uh, windows. They're stealing, you know, whatever, all these different things that uh, we're, and typically it's already in the house or... Um, or they're breaking into our trailers. And you're not
1: leaving these things lying around. I mentioned no. to you that, Mich- uh, Michelle, that I once upon a time built, that my brother and I built an infill house in Elmwood, and uh, we didn't lose as much as a two-by-four over the course of the year of our project. And so you're always, it's always in the back of your mind that this could happen, but these are different incidents, and one of the first thing people will ask, well, don't you have insurance for this stuff?
9: Yeah.
7: Well,
1: yeah, you do, but...
7: Yeah, so each claim would be an ind- each incident's an individual claim, and right. it doesn't make sense. It's not a it cost effective way for us to do it, and your insurance goes up. And so we only bring materials to the site that we need for that particular day. Um, but what they're doing is, there's the our electrician comes in, he installs the copper wiring, which is what you need to get as uh, the electrical working the air uh, the mechanical in the home, uh, and then the nat- that night they're ripping it out. And then, the, you know, they're going into our construction trailers, ripping off the doors. And we have heavy duty locks on these doors and they're destroying them. So now we send them to our, our uh, penetrators is who we use. And now so that trailer's out of commission, which means that we can't get materials to the site and tools to the site, safety boots to the site for our volunteers to build. What are we talking about in terms of the
4: cost to you now?
7: So we're into it for over $25,000 and that does not include the labor and the time that it's taken us to just manage the, uh, the incidents because it's a, it's become a full-time job. It's almost every other day that we're experiencing a theft. And, or then you a break have
1: to re- and then you have to redo that work.
7: Yeah. So it's unfortunate, and but you can't get any inspections without the copper wiring in. So it has to go in and they're kind of just waiting.
0: Any idea who's doing this?
7: No, I mean, I. we don't know. I mean, we're not professionals. We've been working very closely with the Winnipeg Police. They've been amazing. They've given us some really good uh, suggestions on what we do, but um, we're not experts in crime, so we're experts in helping people have a better life, and this isn't... Uh, so we're, we'll leave that to the professionals, but for us, it's just... Uh, what we're doing is asking the community to uh, keep a lookout at our build sites. We had seven sites that have been hit so far. There's a couple. Flora and Cathedral are very, very... Uh, interesting to the uh, thieves. Uh, We don't know if it's the same people or not, but um, uh, we just want our neighbors to keep a lookout. And if you see someone at the site that is not supposed to be there, if it's dark, we're not there. So just call
4: 911. $25,000 is a huge hit to any builder. You're a charity. Mm I mean, you, you you rely on donations, you rely on people donating equipment, people donating their hours. And so to have this has to be particularly painful with all the work you do to get those homes up in the first place.
7: Absolutely. So we depend on the community and corporate com- companies to give us gifts of cash and gift in kind. And uh, this is difficult. And what the impact does is, is it means that the families don't get to move in their homes as quickly as we would like because our goal is to get them in as fast as we can. Um, and the impact is also when volunteers show up at the build site and the trailer's empty. There's no tools. They just sit around and wait. And typically the company's paid for their employees to come. It's one of our fundraisers uh, and they're trying to make a difference. And so now they're sitting around until we can scramble and go find some drills and some hammers and some saws. Yeah. And, and
1: unfortunately... Uh, Crime is indiscriminate, right? And this has been happening on build sites for a long, long time. I don't have to tell you this, but when it happens to an organization like yours, it clearly has a further reaching effect than it might, not to put uh, anything in a different category in terms of crime, but you you are really not in a position to swallow this.
7: No, it's difficult. It'll be a significant hit to us as an organization. And so um, it's just, you know, it's frustrating because it's, It's demoralizing for our construction department. They show up at the site and then they're like, oh, you know, now what do we do? And so they they do their professionals and they handle it with grace. But um, it certainly puts us in a difficult position.
0: How long of a setback then, once again, is this in terms of – because, like, you have a deadline when you start these projects?
7: So we're not, like, a typical builder. So we build based on – Capacity with volunteers in, in our trades. We certainly want families in, usually six to eight months for a home. Um, but this is, uh, you know, it could be weeks. That this would impact us, but it certainly creates a dip. And we're not like a typical builder. We have a ton of staff that can manage this type of uh, incident. Like we all are double dipping now in terms of what we normally would do, uh, and it's and it's tough. It's it's hard on our and it's hard on our construction team specifically.
4: So if I'm in one of these neighborhoods as a homeowner, it might be hard for me to know if that person's supposed to be on the build site or not. Should I be looking for? you know, 12 people there, and then I would know that construction is supposed to be happening, kind of walk me through what I would see on a normal day versus whether or not I will know this person is not supposed to be there and they're probably stealing. Yeah,
7: and so our teams typically arrive around seven, seven thirty to get the site ready for our volunteers. We'll wrap up things by four thirty, five o'clock. We do have trades that go in now. So if some of our homes are at trade stage, so electrical, plumbing, heating, those types of things, they'll go in. But they typically all have marked vehicles. Um, our vehicles are almost always marked. But if it's dark, we're not there. So if it's if it's becoming nighttime and there's someone or if you hear some loud banging, like breaking open a trailer is gonna make some significant significant sounds. So just call 911. Don't go out and try and be a vigilante. That's not what we're asking you to do. We want you to just call 911. The police are very aware of what's going on um, and we're trying to make that happen.
0: All right. Well, 757 on 680 CJOB. Michelle Pereira with Habitat for Humanity Manitoba. Thanks for joining us to tell us about this. I'm sorry that this is happening. This is just crazy that uh, thieves are targeting you guys. So hopefully it
7: stops. I hope so too.
0: But right now, we've been talking about veterans all week. Global News has provided a series of exclusive stories. And uh, now we have a podcast to tell you about.
4: Yeah, we've been talking about millions, $372 million in money that was unspent uh, over the last three years from Veterans Affairs. People who have PST, veterans looking to try to get dogs for therapy. That's not being funded by the government. Then we talked yesterday about caseworkers. They're supposed to, the Liberals vow to give uh, soldiers... A better ratio when it comes to caseworkers, that target is not being hit. So in This Is Why, which is a wonderful podcast produced by Nikki Reitmeier, we hear the harrowing stories from veterans that left were left with PTSD and they explain why they have kind of feel betrayed. Nikki joins us on the phone now. Nikki, thanks so much for taking the time.
9: Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for chatting with me. I appreciate it, especially on an issue like this that, you know, the more public awareness that there is about it, the more hopefully we can pressure the government into actually doing something about this. We've
4: been talking about betrayal, hurt, anger. I imagine it's an all range of emotions for the, for the veterans you've been speaking to, Nikki.
9: Yeah, and I really want to highlight the story of of Barry Westholm. Now, this guy is a former Master Warrant Officer. He's a former Sergeant Major for the Joint Personnel Support Unit. And he actually resigned after serving in the Canadian Armed Forces for about 30 years. And he resigned because he was so upset by what he calls a betrayal from Veteran Affairs. He said, I was so frustrated with how veterans were being treated. I was disgusted by it, and I couldn't take it anymore. And he had to resign from the military because... Because of that. So when I spoke to him, you know, I, I asked him to tell his story, all aspects of it, how he feels now about the armed forces, and what his experience was like when he was serving. He was in Cambodia, he was in Syria, he was in Germany. I mean, this guy saw the Berlin Wall come down, and he was also in Haiti. He talked about how he developed PTSD. And there's this this one incident, this one story that really sticks out in his mind. And the story starts with just him and one other soldier. And they find themselves surrounded by this, this volatile mob. And the mob is starting to grow in its angry energy. So he tells the other soldier, he says, look, go back to the base that's nearby, and I need you to get reinforcements. So now he finds himself alone. Listen to the rest of the story.
1: And we want to just uh, give a heads up to our listeners, Nikki, that some of this could be difficult for some folks to listen to. Yes. It's
0: very graphic.
10: All right, here we go. And the minute he left me alone was the minute that the crowd sort of turned on me. And it devolved into a situation where I I decided what I was going to do was I was going to uh, kill a couple of uh, the leaders, and then I was going to kill myself. And so I had my, uh, my sidearm all cocked and drawn and ready to go, And I was just about to put that into action when the Special Forces guys arrived. Now, when they arrived, the entire situation de-escalated because now we had weapons on the ground, and the crowd knew that they didn't have somebody that was pretty much, you know, a lamb to to slaughter. And that's what they do over there, is they'll, they'll, they'll hack you to pieces with machetes, and then one of the things they did was they put a tire around your neck, put a little diesel in the bottom, and set that on fire. So it's a really horrendous way to go, and I know that's what I was looking at. So that incident... Stuck in my mind, and I relived it every night, and I still do live in most nights. I call it a Hiroshima shadow. It's like a nuclear bomb went off, and the incident left an imprint on my mind, my psyche.
1: And if that doesn't leave an imprint on anyone who's listening to this, um, I don't know what to say. But I can only imagine what it was like to live this. So, Nikki, where, where does where does Barry Westholm go from here?
9: Well, he's become an advocate, and he is an advocate for all veterans. I mean, that was sort of part of his job as he um, evolved in his career with the Armed Forces anyways, as he was working with the Joint Personnel Support Unit. But now he's become an outside advocate saying, guys, this is what I went through. This is what other men and women in the Canadian Armed Forces are going through or have gone through. Why the hell aren't we getting the support that we need when we come back to Canada again, when we, uh, you know, evolve into being veterans? Why is there no support for us? And I I really wanted to share that, uh, albeit very graphic, aspect of of Barry's story because I think it kind of shakes us and it makes us think, whoa, you know, this is what those people are dealing with. Our Canadian soldiers are dealing with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis as they go overseas and represent our nation abroad. And when they come home, they come home to a lack of funding, a lack of support, a lack of caseworkers, red tape. I mean, Barry was talking about how long soldiers have to wait before they can actually get the support that they need. Uh, veterans are still being denied funding for service dogs despite a government report that shows that those service dogs per provide provide a significant reduction in ptsd developed in similar ways to how barry described that he developed his ptsd as he calls it his hiroshima shadow
0: so nikki uh nikki reitmeyer host of the this is why podcast which you can find at globalnews.ca as well as on itunes and on google play what's the federal government saying about all this
9: well, they're saying that they're doing the best they can, that, you know, the, the budget's tight, which I find so bizarre considering that they left $372 million on the table. But they're continuing to reinforce the things that they have done so far. You know, they've rehired frontline staff. They've reopened some veteran affairs offices that were closed under the, the Harper government. Trudeau did promise to reestablish lifelong pensions and increase the value of the disability award. Now... He technically has done both, but the question is was it good enough? The max amount for pensions is like a thousand to one hundred and fifty uh, dollars. But only 12% of vets actually qualify for that maximum amount of just over 1100 bucks, And just over 50% of vets who apply for disability benefits are processed within the target of 16 weeks. So, you know, they're saying, well, guys, you know, we're doing things. We're, we're making it better. But then veterans are going, um, hello, it's not good enough. We need more support. You know, you might be throwing money at this, but we're not actually seeing the effects of that at all. Do they feel like they have the support of the
4: Canadian public? Nikki, Nikki, we just got a text from a listener after hearing the soldier's story of his time in Haiti saying, if if you didn't well up with tears, I mean, what's wrong with you and, and why isn't the government supporting? But do you, do they feel like Canadians get it and it's just a government issue? Or do we all just send them overseas and, and forget about it because it's out of sight, out of mind? You know, that's a really good
9: question. I, I guess I can't speak for all veterans uh, on that aspect. I think... Some sure would say that, you know, their, their friends, their family, the fellow Canadians they, they speak with are, are thankful and they get it. I know my brother's in the military and he, uh, he said he gets a little embarrassed when he wears his uniform in public and actually doesn't as often as he can because he said he gets embarrassed when people will come up to him and say, Hey, thanks for your service. And he goes, Oh, come on. You know, I fight forest fires. I don't actually go overseas. So I think that we are very appreciative of our soldiers and of our veterans. I'm not sure though if this resonates with us as much as it should be. You know, you hear those stories, and like your listener said, I mean, when you hear it come from a soldier's mouth, you go, oh my God, that is what they really deal with. And I hope that this becomes something that more Canadians are conscious of, because I would love to see the government taken to task over this. And let's not make this a political issue either, because the Harper government, they left... Um, hundreds of millions of dollars on the table as well. Trudeau's government is doing exactly the same thing. And God knows the next government that gets in could likely do the same thing as well.
1: Uh, Justin Trudeau, though, or, uh, has, has politicized it by making it a promise in, in my mind. And so you have to keep your promise, especially with something like this. And some of our listeners might be wondering, why did we share this story? Why did we share Barry Westholm's graphic depiction of what he's going through? Because I think sometimes that's what it takes Absolutely. I think I think we've all met veterans at one point or another in our lives from World War II or other conflicts or other peacekeeping um, uh, agendas, and 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 we wonder, you know, why don't they talk about it? Well, that's because. This is what they see. This is what they experience, and they don't want to share it. But it's come to a point now, okay, you want to know what we deal with? I'm going to tell you what we deal with. And this is why we need the support. We need it unfettered. We need it, to a certain extent, unquestioned.
4: Absolutely. Do do you guys have grandparents that fought in, like, World War II? I had two great-uncles. One came home, one did not.
9: Wow. And did your one great uncle who returned home, did he ever really talk about what he experienced over there? Hardly ever. Close to the yeah. end, he got a few Veterans Awards, and so he spoke a bit
4: about it, but it's certainly uh, not without tearing up or just ending the conversation because he
9: couldn't go there. I bet there's so many people listening that know an older veteran like that that from World War II and go, yeah, he never talked about it. And you can see why. Stories like Barry's were stories that they encountered on a regular basis and you can see why that's so difficult for veterans to share to talk about to want to talk about but my god you can see why they need the support from the government that they deserve because of the things that they've experienced
0: Exactly. McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Well, it, yeah, I guess it's kind of lunchtime for us. <laughs> Never too early to crack a beer. And that's maybe what we're going to do here because we want to talk about Prost. 2018 Manitoba Brewers Association Oktoberfest, and I believe, and our guests can confirm this. John Heim, president of the Manitoba Brewers Association, also uh, president of Torque Brewing, and Paul McMullen, president of Stone Angel Brewing. John, is this the first event of its kind? I believe, um, with
11: 15 local brewers now, we are going to be hosting the very first Manitoba All Local Craft Beer Festival. That's great. I'm it's, excited. Uh, it's actually it's quite momentous. I'm very very proud and very happy at the support we've had from Manitobans and the industry. F- Fifteen. Where were we a few years ago? We were uh, in 2015. We were three or two that were brewing in Manitoba, and that was it. Wow, that's
4: tremendous growth. Three that's years. It.
11: Wow. Tremendous. Yeah, it's
0: awesome. And Paul, you're the Stone Angel going to be hosting this. Yes, event, right? we are the host uh, host venue. We have a. Uh we happen to have a
6: really large parking lot, and so it made <laughs> sense to put it there. Where is it? Eighteen seventy-five Pemina. So uh, yeah, it's gonna. we It's uh, the entire back parking lot is going to be dedicated to this festival. So there'll be, you know, bands playing. There'll be you know, food available. There'll be beer from all the all the, the suppliers. So it'll be well, a good event. Where about? The,
0: where is that on Pemina? Uh,
6: it is at the intersection between uh, Plaza Drive and. Uh, and Pemina Highway. So right by, you know, just, just north of Bishop Grandin, across from, say, Shapes, if, if that's... A...
0: Okay, so uh, 15... How did you get, like, when you have 15 local breweries, is there any sort of level of competition between you guys, or is it all a friendly community, John?
11: I believe that, tell uh, you, the competition surfaces on the quality of beer and the style of beer. Okay. Um, we all are very... Um, uh, hospitable with each other. We share uh, products, information, uh, navigate some of the uh, logistics and policy at the provincial level, some of the things with ordering systems. So we all lean on each other quite a bit. And the newer ones, of course, lean on some of the ones that are a bit more established.
1: So, John, and this could definitely be for you as well, Paul, but this whole idea of the stronger the industry is overall and the awareness of Uh, locally crafted beer, uh, the more that people fall in love with even one type, it's potential customers for everybody who's in that marketplace. Is that fair to
11: say? A hundred percent. You know, the market in Manitoba is 95% big beer. So with 5% of the local beer industry in Manitoba made up of 15 brewers, there's lots of opportunity uh, to, to chip away at that 95%. And uh, we're certainly embracing the challenge. Uh, But once we get people enjoying local beer... Uh, just like when you go to your favorite uh, local butcher or baker or I'm going to say candlestick maker because that just <laughs> sounded like it needed to happen. <laughs> cold, cold canary, Candlest- cold yeah. canary yeah. the so there you go. It's not, it's not so uh, you know uh, far off at that point, but it all just helps the industry grow in general, and typically people that enjoy craft beer um, might want to try another style. Uh, in many cases, they're influencers within our network of friends, and they just get added to the cart at the liquor mart or cold beer store. And it's just one more opportunity to put liquor to lips.
8: Paul, what's
4: driving it? I mean, you mentioned the buy, buy local, John. But, Paul, like, it, is, is it more just a desire to have better beer? I mean, I know people like to have stuff that's made in their own backyard, but I feel like our taste buds might be just becoming a bit more discerning.
6: I, I would say that. Manitoba came late to the game into the craft beer market uh, just because of the way the legislation was written. Uh, but once the legislation was changed to allow uh, – allow breweries to operate more freely to make it easier to get more. You can see that the pent-up demand was there. And so the challenge now uh, for us is just growing the customer base, educating the people. Because as John said, everyone's grown up with the, the macro beer, and that's what they know. And so it's sort of, well, if you like that, try this. And then you can move them
0: along the style curve to try bigger and better beers. John, one thing I'm noticing when I go into restaurants more often, I'm seeing on draft, you know, or on the menu, local craft beer available, uh, Ask to see what we've got. A lot of times it's like a sort of a rotating uh, availability, but uh, the fact that I'm seeing that more often makes me smile. What's your reaction to that?
11: Well, yeah, a lot of that's been driven at the customer level. Um, I go to, uh, when I travel, I ask what's local. Uh, and now that sort of trend is happening here in Winnipeg. Some of the more progressive restaurateurs and bar owners are embracing local uh, because their clients are going elsewhere. And they're finding that some of their market share is getting uh, eroded. Not to mention, it is good fresh beer. It's made up the street. You know the brewers; they come and they enjoy a beer at your establishment. They may bring their families in, so it's certainly been grassroots driven. But it also to you know educating folks uh, on on the quality of beer.
1: Well, and I'm also encouraged when I go into an MLCC location and in the cold beer section where I can kind of pick and choose a variety, you know, one at a time in those large cans, it, it, it's always there and it's always cold. It's always an option. So it's great, Brett. Anyone so. else
4: parched right now through this whole conversation, <laughs> Suddenly <laughs> like, my mouth
0: is very, very dry. Now that you mention it. John Heim, president of the Manitoba Brewers Association. Paul McMullen, president of Stone Angel Brewing Company. Again, the event is called Prost 2018 Manitoba Brewers Association. Oktoberfest happening Saturday, September 29th, 3.30 to 7.30 at Stone Angel Brewing, which was at 1875 Pemina Highway. You can get tickets at Eventbrite. I've actually put a link to the event on our 680 CJOB Instagram. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We very it much appreciate it. There is an important event coming up in Winnipeg on Sunday, September 30th where the Canadian Cancer Society is teaming up with CIBC for the Run for the Cure. And we're joined on 680 CJOB Live by Shauna Newens. And uh, Shauna, thank you so much for joining us today. We very much appreciate the time.
8: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you are not just a, a survivor of breast cancer, but a recent survivor. How recent?
8: Uh, in July of 2016, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, so I've actually just completed my gradual return to work, um, which has been very exciting. And uh, yesterday was one full week um, since I ha- I've been back to full time hours, so um, very recent.
4: Congratulations on that return to work. I can Thank imagine you. that transition back into the workforce must be challenging. When, when you were diagnosed, Shana, how much, I mean, we hear a lot about breast cancer, but I know sometimes as women we, we kind of push it aside and don't, don't think about it, don't get ourselves checked, don't, don't do the things we're supposed to do to care for our bodies. How much were you sort of aware of it, or was it just a complete shock when you got that diagnosis?
8: Um, well, it wasn't a complete shock um, because I wasn't one of those women who didn't pay attention to my body. I've always done my self-checks. And when I found a lump on my left breast, I didn't really think too much of it at the time because it was so teeny tiny, um, maybe the size of a pea, but it wasn't until about five to six months later only, it had tripled in size from what I could feel. Um, And that's when the bells and whistles all went off and I sprinted to my doctor and one appointment led to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, I really went through the system very quickly, and it it turned out that it was cancer. So as each appointment appointment led from one to the next to the next, you kind of get a sense that uh, what direction this is going in. So it, it wasn't a shock in that sense. I almost expected it after all of that. But um, initially, uh, it was definitely very surreal. And even today, I look back at pictures and stuff when I had no hair. And I think, wow, was that really, did that really happen to me? Because it should always be the other guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and the reality is that it's all too often not the other guy. And you Mm -hmm. have to be. Uh, you have to you have to shift gears awful quick, right? Because you Absolutely. you get that diagnosis, and now right away you're talking about your treatment plan, and uh, you're always thinking about the next step towards your recovery. I think one part of this, Shauna, and maybe you could speak to it before we uh, talk about how people can get involved in this run and why it's so important. Mm-hmm. Is the is is the financial aspect that a lot of people don't realize? Yeah, our health care is covered in Canada, but there, there, there is a, a genuine financial burden that uh, those that deal with cancer carry.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just yesterday, actually, at my workplace, I'm so excited to be back to work. I know people don't get that, but <laughs> it's great to be back. Sure. And, and just in my workplace, um, after only being full-time hours for the past week, yesterday, um, we had a pink casual day and um, it was basically a toonie for the tatas, and uh, <laughs> everybody dug their pink out of their wardrobes and wore pink for the day in honor of breast cancer awareness and i came in with a bag of pink ribbons and everybody who played, who paid a toonie got to wear a pink ribbon and i was even handing them out to people who didn't pay because it's all about awareness And um, we took some group pictures with all the pinks and that kind of thing. And it's so important. Um, And I did actually just finished sending out an email to the whole floor saying thank you. Everybody is all too often asking for money for this and money for that. And how everybody just came together and was so generous. Um, you know, by the end of the day, the one um, lady who was collecting the money said people were just handing out 20s and really seeing the importance of this cause. And I had no words at the end of the day yesterday. $175 in change was raised just on a kind of somewhat impromptu Uh, Just kind of put it out there to see if it would fly. And this is what happened. Um, Absolutely amazing. I, I left work yesterday just feeling overwhelmed and speechless and just absolutely proud to be here.
0: Our guest is Shauna New, and she is a recent breast cancer survivor, and she's participating in the CIBC Run for the Cure, uh, which is coming up on uh, Sunday, September 30th. And uh, you mentioned people don't get that it's exciting to go back to work, but and you can tell me if I'm on the right track here, but, mm-hmm. you mean, that's probably one of, like, when we think of cancer, we think of the health repercussions, but it robs you of so much more, right, including just your ability to, to be... A normal person, and being a normal person includes going to work?
8: Yep, absolutely right. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Cancer has really stripped me down. Um, It doesn't define you, cancer, but it certainly changes your perspective on life. You don't seem to want to sweat the small stuff anymore. And I know people always say, well, I don't sweat the small stuff. But you really don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Um, I don't want to put energy into um, negative things. It's my positive attitude that I think got me through this, along, of course, with my husband, who's always been my rock, my kids, my parents, my family, and all of the friends who just came out of the woodwork. Um, delivering meals and offering to make sure our daughter is, has rides here and there so she can kind of continue to be normal. She was 15 at the time. Um, you know, it really turns the family upside down. And that is one of the things that the funds go to is to support not only metastatic breast cancer or, or med- cancers, but... Um, Hard to treat cancers, and it helps. The money helps with support to patients and their families because even though I'm the one with the diagnosis, my whole family was fighting cancer for the last two years. And we all go through our own little personal things during this, and it's really hard. Nobody really understands all of my things because they're not in my shoes, but I also don't really understand all of their things. Because I'm not, you know, a spouse of somebody who's fighting cancer or a child who has a parent who's fighting cancer or a parent who has a daughter who's fighting cancer. So all of everybody was on their heads for a long time in our household and still we have our moments because um, hormones are... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of go crazy with breast cancer because you're on all kinds of crazy drugs and, um, well, not all kinds. I'm only on one, but it, it, the, the drug, it feels like there's all kinds. Um, and chemo really um, changes you not only physically but mentally. And so there's a lot of anxiety around that as well, but made it through. <laughs> so you just have to persevere and fight through and just know that you're going to come out better at the other end and uh, it's just one of those things it's not an option
4: it's a long road I have no doubt and it's so good to hear that you're at that place where you feel like you've come through the other side Shauna but there's so many people that are in the middle of it now or maybe about to find out today tomorrow that they've been diagnosed with cancer and so next week week, of course is that important run for the cure were Mm -hmm. you a fundraiser before you got the diagnosis or is this something you've sort of taken upon yourself now to say I want I want to give back
8: Well, I've been involved in fundraising with things in the past, um, but not to this extent. Um, Now, I get it. I really get it. Um, It's important to me because, number one, it's such an important cause, and not only because I'm living through it, my family's living through it, but it's like the biggest um, cancer you hear of out there is breast cancer, and... uh, I've met a lot of friends in the cancer community now who are also survivors of all kinds of cancer. And at one point somebody said, Oh man, breast cancer survivors get everything. They get this big run, they get this, they get that. But we, we also have the biggest, like the highest amount of numbers in terms of breast cancer. And that's why they're, you know, we're digging in so deep for this fundraising and I've, just jumped in with two feet to get involved. And it wasn't planned that way. It wasn't my mission. It just kind of happened. And I'm just very passionate about it. And everything has just kind of exploded in terms of media and and getting the awareness out there and support for my work. Like people want to help. You just have to get it out there, get the awareness out there.
0: So I'm on the CIBC Run for the Cure website. I've found your team, Shauna's Shakers.
8: That's us. <laughs> How is
0: the team fundraising effort going so far?
8: Pretty good. We're, we just hit a little over $7,000 as a team. Um, I haven't even put in the money from work yesterday, so that will be going in uh, over the course of the weekend. And... Um, Yeah, we're in the top 10 um, as a team and me individually as well. So uh, I'm hoping that we can reach all of our goals. Our team goal is 15,000 and my personal goal is 5,000. So we're climbing and I'm hoping this last week um, really... Takes us across that finish line in terms of where we want to head with our goal, and there's still we can still fundraise even after the run. So, uh, you know, even if we don't hit our goal right on, you know. Midnight of September 29th, we can we can still keep going with it. There's, there's no deadline to this,
0: and it's a close race too. I see you. You're right behind Team uh, TNT, Totally New Tatas. Yes, that's uh,
8: actually
4: a friend of mine.
2: Oh,
0: really?
4: <laughs> yes, I love these names too. By the way, just you know, put it
8: all out there. I like it. I love it. Breast of Friends. You know, TNT is the totally new Tatas. It's it's also Tracy's new Tatas. Tracy is the the team captain for that one. She's the friend of mine who is a a breast cancer survivor as well. Um, yeah, the the names are so much fun, and people just have a great time getting out on on Run Day. It's not a race. It's a one or five k walk or run. Um, people stroll, they bring their dogs, they dress them in t-shirts. I mean, it's just a really, really fun morning. And there's all kinds of booths set up and um, running room will be there with their uh, pink attire, their pink ribbon attire. They'll be um, selling that kind of stuff. So there's all kinds of events going on um, before, during and after. So um I encourage everybody to come out, even just to experience it. Just if you stand in the sidelines and, and feel everything in the air, it's uh, just unspeakable of, of how that morning goes.
0: Well, we got to get out of here, Shauna, but uh, just' looking at the map here and this looks uh, it looks like a great route too. like you start at Shaw Park mm-hmm. and uh, it looks like you, the 5K takes you through the forks and then it looks like it just basically goes along the river uh, yeah, for the bulk along- of the route.
8: Yep, exactly right. It goes along waterfront, and you have a beautiful run along the river. The sun is coming up, hitting the water as you run. You come up through the forks, past the Human Rights Museum, and back to Shaw Park, and that pretty much, much hits your 5K. I don't know where the 1K um, route goes, but I, I'm sure you maybe go so far and turn around and come back. I, I don't know. I haven't done the 1K, but it's, it's all really beautiful in that area of town.
0: Well, it's happening on Sunday, September 30th. And it starts at Shaw Park. And if you want to link to the page, you can just email us, brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com, or mcnab at cjob.com. Or you can just Google CIBC Run for the Cure Winnipeg, and you'll find it, especially if you want to uh, support Shauna's Shakers. Shauna Newins, uh, once again, glad to hear that uh, you're okay and that you're back to work. And congratulations on your fundraising efforts so far uh, for this amazing event. Just the money that I see that's being raised so far is incredible. You're all doing fabulous work raising money for this all-too-important cause.
2: The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.